Eastbound and Down premiered on February 15th, 2009 on HBO. Let's put 29 minutes on the clock. Pilot study, Chris and Grimes. They're talking all of your favorite shows. But only the pilot episode that means the first show. And that's the premise behind Pilot Study. Hello and welcome to Pilot Study, episode number 23. My name is Chris Lantine and I'm your host. And I am joined, as always, he's been on the cover of Cat Fancy and Highlights, it's Grimes! Yep, just uh, about to go <laughs> off to rehab for hurting my nose. Um, so, just imagine this i am sitting watching the intro trying to pause it at the exact moment that the highlights cover comes up because i want to know what the headline is for a story and i do it about 10 times and the headline is how to throw a fastball i thought it was, <laughs> I, I thought it was gonna be something filthy it was a kid's well. magazine the only the only really filthy one was uh for playgirl the headline is kenny powers gets a woody <laughs> which isn't even that bad other magazines he's featured on outdoor life high times like i guess that cat fancy american woodworking better <laughs> better homes and garden and i think there was a sports illustrated in there as well so i'm i'm pretty i was pretty excited to see all those publications um so eastbound and down is this the episode where we get our parental advisory sticker on itunes I think so. I mean, just talking about it, we almost have to swear a lot. Like we can't, re- we can't quote sixty percent of the show if, <laughs> unless we curse. So unless we bleep ourselves out. Now, you, this is the is this the first time you had seen Eastbound and Down? Because you just told me before we got on here that you're in the second season now because you you watched this pilot this weekend and you haven't stopped. So was it was this your first experience? No, this is probably my third time through. Hmm. Oh, okay. So you've already you've already watched it two whole times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gotcha. So we're both super experienced Kenny Powers lovers. I want to start out with the baseball because that's how the show starts out. He's 19 years old, which is really really young for a baseball player. <laughs> yeah. That comes in apparently. Uh, I'll talk about an earlier script later, but in the early script, this is Game Seven of the World Series, so they're not fucking around at all. This isn't like the ALCS or anything. This is the World Series. He wins the World Series. Hmm. So I went back in baseball history, and I didn't have to go back very far because I think he's based on two people. One is this guy named Francisco Rodriguez, nicknamed K-Rod. So he was an Angels pitcher who came on in 2002. He was 20 years old, and he was the youngest pitcher ever to win a World Series game. In 2002, he comes onto the scene he wins five postseason games en route to their championship where they beat Barry Bonds and the Giants. He had never won a major league game before that. Very much the Kenny Powers story. The second guy that he is based off of in my mind, and I, this is a little more obvious, is John Rocker. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> this is what Rocker said about playing with the New York Mets. And just remember that Kenny Powers called it Jew York when he was asked yeah. in this show. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so he says, I would retire first. It's the most hectic and nerve-wracking city. Imagine, ha- imagine having to take the number seven train to the ballpark, looking like you're riding through Beirut next to some kid with purple hair, next to some queer with AIDS, right next to some d- dude who just got out of jail for the fourth time, next to some 20-year-old mom with four kids. It's depressing. <laughs> That's what he said in the Sports Illustrated uh, article. The Sports Illustrated I, article. I had the pleasure of uh, being a Pirates fan growing up and seeing him since he played for the Braves. You know, both yeah. National League teams played each other quite a bit. Yeah. And he was good uh, for a year. I think for one season he was pretty good. And then he opened his mouth and ended his career. Very much like Kenny Powers. His velocity yeah. started to dip. And he didn't have his fastball, and all of a sudden he was done. He didn't really have, like, he had he had some breaking pitches, but this isn't a baseball analysis podcast, but he no. he relied on the fastball. And uh, the New York comments came out of an NLCS they played against the Mets. And I believe the Braves won, and he was really good in that series, but they were, like, throwing shit at him, and he was giving him the finger when he came off the field. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is a, a really good anecdote from that article. During batting practice, he would shag a ball in the outfield, which I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure just means catch it. And he would fake a toss to the fans and then throw it back to the pitcher and smile at them. <laughs> <laughs> what a dickhead. Yeah, I mean, it's people like that don't last for a reason. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, this is borrowed, kind of borrowed. Kenny Powers is this flamboyant baseball player, if you haven't seen the show, that starts in Atlanta, much like John Rocker did, and is then cycled through a bunch of cities with his velocity slowly falling. Uh, New York, San Francisco, where he makes fun of homosexuals, Seattle, and then I think he's done after that, after giving up a home run to the one and only Craig Robinson. I believe so. Yeah, Craig Robinson, one of many awesome uh, cameos mm-hmm. and guest appearances. When I read the AV Club review, they were like, and a blink if you miss it cameo from Craig Robinson. So it was very much, they didn't know that he was going to come back, which he does um, quite often, and he becomes a rival for Kenny Powers. So after we get out of the baseball stuff, set us up for the rest of this episode. All right, so um, after his... Exit from Major League Baseball, Kenny Powers has to return to his hometown in North Carolina. And he finds himself living with his brother, who has three kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, That dinner scene is one of the funniest things. I forgot. (laughs) I mean, I was, like, dying laughing at that thing. Mongoloid mongoloid Mike? (laughs) Yeah. I I, I don't want to say anything else about the scene other than that. My favorite quote was when he was like, holy shit, you guys named your daughter after Titanic. What's his name? <laughs> Fucking Shrek. <laughs> he's like, I mean, it's just awesome. It's so inappropriate with children around. But yeah. um, So anyway, he's living with his brother and uh, his wife and children. He finds himself teaching gym because the full-time gym teacher is out sick for the rest of the school year. And his former high school sweetheart works at the school where he's now teaching. So... Throw in that little complication. Um, and from there, you know, the characters are introduced in a typical pilot way, and it kind of plays out that he, it shows him, you know, living this new life. So, uh, a few more of the specs, really quick. Directed by Jody Hill, he has also done Observe and Report, but, but him and McBride really came on the scene with the Foot Fist Way, which I have not seen in full. I've just seen the trailer. Have you seen it? <laughs> 
You know, I've seen half of it. The first half, I don't actually know how it ends, but I mean, it's very McBride-esque, but it's mm-hmm. very it's rough. You know, it's not fine-tuned like obviously his later stuff, but it's right. um it's funny. It's worth watching. I believe it's on Netflix. Uh, um, Will Ferrell, Adam McKay, see this movie. They put it out. Uh, the trailer is littered with. It's basically about Ferrell and McKay and how they watched it multiple multiple times. That's how they used it in promotion. But they're in the producer spot in this show as well. And the pilot is written by Jody Hill, Ben Best, who plays the bartender. Um, and I have some interesting facts about him later. And, of course, Danny McBride is one of the credited writers as well. John Hawks is the brother. Uh, you will know him from Deadwood and a whole bunch of other great roles. Um, yeah. Katie Mixon is the former high school flame. Andy Daly, who would later yeah the man who would later destroy everybody's soul on review, is the yeah. is the principal and the fiance of that high school flame. Jennifer Irwin is the sister, or excuse me, the wife of John Hawks. And Steve Little is a music teacher that eventually joins joins forces with Kenny Powers. I I totally forgot he was a music teacher in this. So did I. I mean, I remember the character. He's impossible to forget. But um, the music teacher thing is is a nice little funny twist that I did forget. Where he goes, I'm very shocked that they allowed him around children. <laughs> <laughs> At all. Uh, Tim Orr is another name to remember. He is the cinematographer, and he would go on to do some really good stuff. Some with David Gordon Green, and he would work with Jody Hill. Uh, one more question about Jody Hill. Have you seen Observe and Report? I have the Seth Rogen weird ass dark comedy. Can I just say that I love Observe and Report so so much? I saw it in the theater. Nobody knew what the hell to think of it. Nobody knew that it was going to be this comedic take on Taxi <laughs> on, on Taxi Driver. Right. It's basically the plot of Taxi Driver in a mall, and complete with the very violent ending. Yeah, and you know the the really funny thing about that movie. Um, is that it was Seth Rogen, so everybody goes in there expecting Knocked Up and Pineapple Express and 40-Year-Old Virgin, and you get a Seth Rogen that, yeah, is pretty scary, pretty um, damaged individual. Michael Payne is really good in that movie, and he's gone on to do some other funny things, but uh, this is what the AV Club said about that. They said, according to IMDb, Hill has written and directed a Seth Rogen vehicle about an eccentric mall cop. I just can't see a premise like that doing anything at the box office. And no, it completely bombed, but I think it's a movie that people remember for one way or another. It's in the Rogan catalog, for better or worse. <laughs> I, I actually really enjoy it. I think it's one of his better ones. Okay, so onto the actual show. I think uh, the one thing I wanted to point out, and the one thing that really struck me and maybe I forgot about was that, so Kenny Powers crying on that first night. I think that is what really gives this show a ton of life. Like, you can build the show around him being an asshole, and people would dig that. I mean, we we like Entourage, so (laughs) people dig just guys who are assholes. But I think showing him as this, like, sensitive brute really adds some tenderness to him. And I I guess you have to give us some reason to root for him, right, in this first episode. Yeah, you can't have a hundred percent asshole. It seems like you can go ninety, but you need that ten percent of like you know empathy. And really, the other scene where that occurs is when he's yelling at them, or he's yelling at the kid for getting on his jet ski, <laughs> yeah. and then he just keeps yelling during his apology. 
Yeah, because if he stops yelling, then he loses the fight. Right, right. That was his big quote. Um, I think it was, one of the lines was, I'm very sorry, please leave a key under the mat. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing, and this was, um, you know, and not the end, but part of that era with Will Ferrell just making things where every line was quotable. Right, yeah, and it very much is along. Luck- luckily, they do... Like, I mean, there's so much in this show that is quotable, but I think they rely on that aspect of it a, a lot less as they get into, like, the third and fourth season in particular. Like, the fourth season's like a suburban drama. Um, it's kind of like the slow degradation of suburbia for Kenny Powers. It's a pretty, like, emotionally packed last season. Yeah, and having seen this whole series and loving it so much, it it gets weird. Like, it goes places you don't expect, um, even pretty in season one. um, Mm -hmm. And there are only six episode seasons, I think. Yeah, so I I think that setting him up to have some kind of redeeming quality, like, even, like, when he goes to work, he has to put this brave face on, he has to get a little tipsy on the first day. That is really what's interesting to me about this character, like, he can say outlandish shit and get away with it. He can say some really bad stuff and get away with it because they show him crying and because they show him like, is he, is he masturbating in the shower at one point in the school yeah. shower? <laughs> yeah. In the school shower <laughs> while, while drinking. <laughs> and he has a thong tan line as well. Yes. Well, yeah, he has a thong tan line as well. Some, some good lines. I'm not trying to be the best at exercising. He's making- yeah. Yes. Making, I wrote that down. Making fun fun of somebody who's doing a triathlon. Um, your or my dad says you ruin baseball. That's a really good one. This there's some really brutal lines in here that they get away with. Like he comes up to the teacher's table and says, "I just saw two boys raping a sixth grader," and then it just he's joking about it. Yeah, that would never fly now. Dude. No way. <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty harsh. And the and the earlier pilot, the earlier pilot script is even worse. What were some of your favorite lines or moments or things that just you forgot were just so good in this first episode? Well, I did write down that line um, when he was saying to Andy Daly about not being the uh, best at exercising. Right. One thing I like about the show overall. Um, not a specific line per se, but just how nailed the details were about like suburban life in the South. Cause I live here and I am, I live not far from where McBride and Hill like met and went to school and started doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, this is what the people are like, like guys are pretty much like Kenny powers. I hear people talk like this at work. Um, Oh Jesus. The white Nikes with the ill-fitting jeans and the jet ski. Like, these guys who think they're, you know, Brad Pitt when really they're just Kenny Powers minus the fastball. <laughs> well, um, the, but, well, yeah. I, um, th- there's a lot of... I want to stay on the South thing for a second. There's, like, a lot of Southern intricacies that come to light, like, throughout the show as you keep watching. But, like, in the beginning, I think it's just about, like, these morally are these people that believe they're morally correct being his brother or being his brother and the wife. And then the type of person who feels like they're too big for that, like family oriented stereotype and they have to escape or get bigger than the area or both. Like that's the goal of like some of these people. Yeah. Um, I'm familiar with some of those goals myself, (laughs) but Well, well, there's this delusion with him. And I think that he represents for a lot of people that's, characters characters that feel like greatness is like right around the corner 
Uh-huh. Like people that that feel that way. I hope I'm not getting too personal on your end. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, not necessarily around the corner, but maybe uh behind me. Right, right. Um the thing is though, this happens. Like I was at a wedding a couple summers ago and there was a guy there who had played for the New England Patriots for like a season. He was he wasn't drafted. He made the team, and then he eventually got down to the practice squad, and then cut. Mm-hmm. And you know, you could when you're around a professional athlete, they do look different. They're obviously like a physical specimen, far from me or anyone I spend time with. So you like sense the different way they move and how they behave and how they like have that confidence. <clears throat> but then I'm thinking, like, now we're at the same wedding. You're just like a dude, probably. And you know, he could be teaching. Who knows what? Like, what are you supposed to do? Once you fail at, at being point. an athlete. Yeah. yeah. It's, or even if you succeed, but you're kind of just like an under-the-radar dude that wouldn't get like endorsements or necessarily be like a commentator. Well, it's um, it's almost... I mean, the gym teacher storyline is not unrealistic in any way, I don't think. I think, that's, right. I think that's what happens to a lot of like high school athlete stars is they end up doing things like that, and for better or for worse. I'm sure some of them are good. Kenny Powers is obviously... A terrible teacher <laughs> yeah and person <laughs> but i mean i think i think that happens more so than we would assume right yeah and you just have to watch that 30 for 30 called broke about what happened you know most guys aren't multi-cajillionaire tom brady's most guys like play for a couple years wash up somewhere especially to living here um with all these colleges nc state duke unc not all these guys make it to the nfl or nba so mm-hmm. The area is flooded with all these educated people that just kind of like, like, now what are we supposed to do? But anyway, not to get too far off on that stuff. I like Katie Mixon a lot. She shows up in things from time to time. Mm -hmm. And she's actually like, I looked her up on IMDb just out of curiosity and to finally learn her name. And she's like a Shakespearean trained actress who just ended up in this show, you know, when you're an actor for a living, you just kind of, you have to act to make money, so... Well, they needed like this Southern Belle style look, and they—I think—they just happened to stumble into a, a pretty good actress as well. Like she, she has a lot of emotionally charged moments later in the series that she kind of like rises above, and doesn't really out outact McBride because I actually think McBride's a pretty good actor. Yeah, he's not bad. He, she's very, very up to the challenge of being like being one of the bright, pure acting spots, as is, I mean, John Hawks is an Oscar-nominated actor. Yeah, he's, he's awesome. <laughs> he's playing the brother of this, which is incredible. Um, Danny McBride has a show coming out with Jody Hill again. I don't know if you knew about this. It's called Vice Principals. No. And it is him and Walt Walter Goggins, I believe is his name. That's how you pronounce oh, it. Oh, okay. But it's it's coming out on HBO, I think, this year. But it's like McBride, Jody Hill's the same team, <laughs> and they're just bringing Goggins in. It's like these two vice principals who are battling to become the principal, or like, and it, so it's a high school setting type of thing again. So it should be it should be amazing. That that does sound pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So those those guys are teaming back up. I like the. I like that when Dustin, that's the brother, Dustin chastises him. He doesn't, like, chastise him for being a bad person because he knows that's not going to help. He chastises him for saying that he's not, like, fun to hang hang out with anymore. Yeah, he's just like, yeah. (laughs) Just calling him, like, not cool anymore. That's, like, enough to spark, like, this huge inner renaissance for Kenny Powers and to, like, you know, want to get back on top. I I I love that whole scene. 
Yeah, and then that kind of also empowers Dustin to stand up for himself against his boss, who's like this evil, mean lady. Um, Wait, when does and this, it helps? When does this happen? Or is that was that? Maybe I'm confusing it because I have been watching the show nonstop since I watched the pilot yesterday. <laughs> yeah. That could be a later episode. Sorry for a spoiler alert, mm, but now we know Dustin stands case, up to his really, boss. Show sorry, ruined. Sorry to spoil things, but the pilot sets up a good relationship between mm-hmm. Kenny Powers and his brother that helps him along the way. Also, I did want to mention that the voice the voiceover seems silly. <laughs> But I think it's super clever because obviously it seemed like they wanted a voiceover no matter what. And an overused plot tool like that could have been like it would have drawn like the, the Scorsese, like a, a funny version of a Scorsese show or, you know, something like that. But instead, by doing it with the tape, it's totally in character and it replaces the voiceover function and it allows them to skip over that overused tool, which is a good part of this episode. And it sets up that he's like an author, and that's like an avenue that they can use later for his rise to uh, fame and fortune. And mm-hmm. like he can be, you know, the book is part of that thing too. Right. Okay. So I went back, excuse me, I went back and I read a script from March of 2007. So two years prior, uh-huh. it was called Draft Three. And here, just a few little things that were different or that were changed in the pilot process. So they specify it's the World Series, and they also reference that the reason Kenny Powers is on the team is because of a point-shaving scandal. So, like, they make sure to mention <laughs> that. <laughs> uh, Bob Costas is the narrator, not Joe Buck. Oh, man, yeah. awesome. Yeah. In the montage at the beginning, Kenny Powers is, like, a country. He tries country music, and it's, like, <laughs> a, a country music video, you know, something like that. Oh, man. But I, I, I even saved a couple of the scenes so that I could I could kind of describe them to you. There is another part of the montage where he's talking, where he's selling his book that he ends up listening to on the tape. And they cut to Charlton Heston, which I don't even know when Charlton Heston died. He could have been dead before this. But reading from Kenny's book into a microphone. So Heston would have been the <laughs> would have been the voice for Kenny Powers' book. Should good we Lord. should we look up if Charlton Heston is still alive? I think that's a good thing to do. Charlton, I think he's dead. I'm saying dead. Okay, hold on. I New segment: Dead or alive? <laughs> he he died. He passed away in 2008. So pretty close. And this was 2007. So yeah, he was still alive at that point. Um, he he makes sure to state that the jet ski was hand painted hand painted by Jesse James, um, who of course used to be married to Sandra Bullock. Uh, the coach Booth guy, who Kenny Powers is taking over for, actually makes an appearance and pops a Vicodin, foreshadowing his death by pain pills. Uh, the the kids asking questions to him is longer and much dirtier, and the bartender who is played by one of the writers, his scene is much longer, and they talk about like getting into adventures that summer. So I'm wondering if they didn't know if Stevie was going to be this big part, and if they thought the bartender was going to be like that side character. Well, much like Jesse Pinkman, and I believe this was discussed by McBride on WTF. Oh, okay. They did not know that Stevie was going to be that big of a character. He was kind of doing it. He was an actor, but he wasn't really getting any traction with any jobs. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. And then, um, so he gets cast as an extra with like a line or two in this. 
And then much like um, our buddy Aaron Paul, uh, the role expanded because they saw something in him and like he worked really well with McBride in the one-on-one scenes and they wanted to just like improv with him more and it grew, <laughs> it grew into this big role. Hmm. That's really interesting. I like that. Um, yeah. This is one of the sequences in the kids asking questions part. Kenny says, timid kid, my mom says you are a sex addict. Is your mom pretty? Yes, sir. Tell her to call me. <laughs> I'm just playing. <laughs> Unless you think she'd do it. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I, I am not a sexaholic. Do you like the company of lady friends? Yes. Supermodels, movie stars, farmers' daughters. I've fucked, made love to them all. <laughs> Have you ever heard of the term a true cocksmith? That is one of the things they cut out. They also cut out a line. This is Cassie and Kenny talking about if Kenny should go after his former high school lover. Um, he says... What if he was good-looking? No. What if he was famous? No. Not even if he was ultra-famous, amazing athlete, knew all about the big cities, your one true love, good sense of humor, and then dot, 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 a hunter. (laughs) (laughs) There's some really, really good stuff that they cut out. Um, They referenced possibly killing um, Kenny Powers with the air conditioning unit, the brother, like jokes about it, like pushing the air conditioning unit out and crushing him. Um, Kenny Powers has a revolver at one point, and the little kid like took it out of his bag and he takes it back and puts it in his belt loop or whatever. So he has a gun in the house, and Coach Booth drops the N word. Yeah, that's part of the script was crazy. I sent you that part, and it is pretty intense. And I think they're probably glad they cut that part. Yes, that's just one of those things. And obviously, seeing the word written out on a typed page like that yeah. is quite odd. Yeah. Um, but that's one of those things you can't unsay or undo in a project. And you know, you can see back to like what we were talking about earlier with some of the the language and the shit he says and gets away with. That whole Will Ferrell, like Adam McKay, Judd Apatow shit, like you know, it it wasn't do it wasn't advancing anything socially. Let's just say that. Y- yeah, it I... wasn't necessarily as evil as some people like to make it out to be. I don't think. I don't think it was intended to be an, at all harmful. But I, I I don't think they had the clout to have a southern um, white gym teacher drop the N word. No, no, and it's very excellent <laughs> no. that somebody smart said no. Yes, yes. Uh, but you know what I'm saying, like overall, like it's lines were finally drawn by this crew at some point, even if it was a hard end. Yeah, um, mo- I mean, most of the Farrell McKay comedies, because I'm sure they were looking at these scripts and like, you know, just kind of checking out what the tone and the direction would be. But most of them are pretty kind-hearted in the end. Like Anchorman is. There's cursing, but it's a it's supposed to be a heartwarming type of story. Same thing with like Step Brothers and a lot of the other ones. They don't really. I'm not gonna say they don't push the envelope, but I mean they're crowd pleasers. That's what they are. Right, they are, and and in the end, that stuff becomes what is mainstream anyway because it is so popular that it right. kind of trumps what we would call. I don't want to use the term politically correct, but it becomes the new normal. Like these quotable movies, mm-hmm. then people just kind of accept it. So, again, like if if in those things they're calling stuff gay, for example, that's why for a while like everything was just gay, even though people weren't. You, you know what I'm trying to say? 
Well, it's, I don't want to dig a hole too deep here, but like, no, no, no. You're you're saying it's almost the reason why Chappelle, because we're going to talk about Chappelle in a little bit, why he ended up leaving the show. And I think one of the inciting incidents was people was white individuals using that word very freely, and right. kind of like just tossing it out on the set, like because Chappelle was saying it a lot in his sketches, it was okay for everybody to say it. So. I think they were smart to not be part of that precedent setting and just to kind of yeah. drop that casually. Also, to get us out of this um, this dark hole, yeah. April Big Cannons. Yeah, well, that was pretty funny. <laughs> that little just... Side, a side one, joke. The, the bartender says that, right? Yeah, yeah, a little side joke. Uh, Andy Daly's really good in this. Anything else you want to drop before we wrap up here? <clears throat> well, I mean, no, we did. It's funny. We always take such similar notes. I have to laugh at that. Um I just think they they nailed the John Rocker thing. We talked about that. I just want to ask, do you think some people are just good at sports? Like he doesn't really train. He's obvious I always love baseball because growing up John Cruck was a very famous baseball player. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this sport rules. You can be fat and just have a huge chew in your <laughs> mouth and just be like having a mullet, never shave, and you can just hit home runs and play first base or something where you don't have to run much. It's, Do you th- and you know you're an athlete too. You're around athletes a lot. Are there's always like in high school just like or, or even middle school these kids would be like so strong and I'm like how the hell like what are you doing on weekends and at <laughs> night like chopping wood and shit like we're all 12 years old and you have abs like I could I could do one pull up on the pull up bar. Let me just put it that way. Uh, I I like. But how... you know what I'm saying. Like some people can just run. Some people can just throw a baseball 100 miles. Like is it God given? Is it just luck? How can you throw a baseball 100 miles an hour? You know what I mean? I think yeah. I think it's just this God given strange talent that some people have. I mean, I remember like you ever go to like a science museum and they'll have like a pitching booth there. And the, it'll like take yeah, it'll, yeah. it'll take your speed. I think I could like. It's and you hard. feel like a chump because it's like fifty two, and you're like, <laughs> "What the fuck?" <laughs> like I throw it as hard as I could, and I thought like I was some great athlete growing up, and it would hit like sixty one. I'd be like, uh, "I guess that's good." I don't know. I think it's just yeah. It's some people just have this natural arm speed, especially the guys that throw ninety five hundred. That's not like you're not doing curls to get that. Like that's no, not, no. There is nothing you can train to be able to do that. I think it's like you have it, and then you train, and then you really build yourself to just improve like five, maybe ten. But I would assume around like five miles an hour once you're like fully developed and throwing like for real. I think you can increase your velocity, but again, I don't. But really, that's more of like a technique fine tuning with like real coaches and shit. It's, it's a fine tuning thing. Like me and you can't go and just say, we're going to dedicate our lives to throwing really fast fastballs. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we wouldn't be able to do it. But, I mean, that is a pretty funny thing to bring up. Like, especially these fat guys like David Wells could throw like a 95 mile an hour fastball. And I mean, you could say like part of it was because they had so much to put behind it, but it's just that arm strength, man. It's just this natural God-given gift, I suppose. And imagine what a shame it is. Like some people probably never even discover it. Yeah, you're like sitting on a lottery ticket, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, especially with baseball, no salary cap. So, all right, so let's wrap it up. This has been the yeah. East, our Eastbound and Down episode. If you stick around, we are going to talk a little bit about Prince and a very famous TV moment surrounding Prince, I guess, or about Prince in yeah. some way. Um, but 
next week we will be inducting our first pilots into the Pilot Hall of Fame. So that should be really fun. That will be episode 24, and then we will wrap up the first season. We'll take about probably like a month break just to kind of gather and listen back to the episodes and kind of see what we need to improve on. So if you've been listening to all of them, hopefully we'll have some changes for you when, when season two rolls around. Maybe we'll kill off a main character. We don't want to, we don't, we don't want to reveal who yet. Spoiler alert, it's not me. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I don't know what we'll do. Maybe we'll do a whole massacre Game of Thrones style. We'll just bring two new, new people in. Uh, but uh, once again... Like True Detective. Yeah, yeah like True Detective. Uh, we'll do an anthology series. We'll pass it off to two other TV-hungry um, post-college grads. Uh, but mm. like I said, stick around after the break, and we will be talking some prints. They sound better and better. They're the team behind the Modern Vinyl Podcast. Modern Vinyl says, if you're gonna advertise a podcast, make it hot. It's music. It's funny. It's uncomfortably emotional. Roundtable album discussions. All your favorite Modern Vinyl games. And some of the most fantastic guests in music. All on the Modern Vinyl Podcast. The record store talk coming through your headphones. Subscribe on iTunes or visit modern-vinyl.com. Hello and welcome back to Pilot Study. Uh, We wanted to do an extra segment here to talk a little bit about Prince. He recently passed away. And I know most of our episodes aren't time sensitive, but I feel like we couldn't let this one pass without at least some discussion on probably the, one of the biggest rock stars ever to live ever in history. Uh, but you had, I know you had a couple thoughts. Yeah. So why don't you lead us off with the non Chappelle thought? Yeah. Well, Prince is one of those people that everybody has an opinion on and it's typically positive. <clears throat> Excuse me. And my first experience with Prince was actually at a church sleepover, which for those of you that weren't raised in weird cults, um, sometimes if you have weird parents, they would send you to sleep in your church so they could get a night of free babysitting. Oh, God. And then you're you're sleeping in a freaky-ass building unattended, basically, with no adult supervision. So anyway, at this church sleepover, when I was I was under 10, for sure. Somebody busted out a VHS of Purple Rain, and we decided to watch it. And I, I definitely didn't get it. I, I just knew that Prince was on the TV, and this guy was definitely different than the average humans. So he's been in my life a long time, thanks to that weird-ass night. But <laughs> like most people of my ilk, um, recovering bros from the 2000s, uh, we watched Chappelle's show on repeat, and you hear the Charlie Murphy Hollywood story about Prince and playing basketball and eating pancakes. And well, I mean, it's it's not only it's like amazing. it wasn't only the introduction of Prince to I think a lot of like younger people who watched that like they should have known about Prince, but maybe your parents weren't into that music, so you had no failed you <laughs> no entry in. But I just love that that was the introduction for some people. This like. <laughs> I don't even really know how to describe how they portray him, but as this like superstar athlete, mythical figure, um, they really do paint him as like asexual in that piece. Yeah, like mm-hmm. he's very, very much well, not asexual, but he's just very much of both genders, which I think is how he would probably want to be remembered. And of course, the sketch is like an all timer. It's like probably top ten best sketches, right? I, th- I think it's in there. 
And I think because there's some truth to it. Now, obviously, right. it's going to be way exaggerated in sketch comedy. But because Charlie Murphy really did play basketball with Prince and Eddie Murphy, like you know what I mean? That happened. Yeah, I mean, um, the, mid- then- the Midnight Game definitely... I mean, he's come out and said that that, that happened. I don't know about the pancake thing. But <laughs> it yeah. seems like, like, how could you make up that detail? Like, it just seems like, yeah. Right. And that, why would you choose that? Wouldn't you choose something cool? Like, you know what I mean? Well, and I think a lot of the legitimacy of that sketch was from the Rick James one and the fact that Rick James was, was on it. And, of course, they, yeah. they weren't going to get prints on, on this one, although it would have been even more. That would have been, like, top sketch of all time. But, like, the fact that Rick James lent his legitimacy to that first one it made us believe that yeah this this actually happened like these sketches are the real thing and i think those are the those are the only two he ever did right yeah and then prince later like i think in 2013 put that a picture of Chappelle right. playing him on that on that cover of that single that came out yeah um, i think it was called which is like as close as you're going to get to a confirmation um, him being on yeah um I think it was called something like I think it was like a pancake thing. It was. It's about breakfast. Oh, like, oh, skip it, breakfast. It's it's called breakfast. it's called breakfast can wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And Which is hilarious, and that's so cool that Prince owned it and was like, "Yeah, I'm down with that shit." And another thing about Prince that I really respect is that beyond his talent, which is just obvious and you know transcendent, is that like. In this age of TMZ and access and Twitter and what's charities and celebrities and blah, blah, blah. Like, he lived in Minneapolis and he stayed real and he, like, gave money to save charities and didn't publicize it. And he was just like, you know, and no, I don't know. And nobody, I know that there was, like, a people that knew about what his romantic life entailed. But for a big star <laughs> like that to keep things relatively secret. Yeah, he had a private life. It was very very strange but again like if we ever do a list of like the top 10 tv sketches of all time that one's definitely that one's definitely going to be in it along with some snl ones and a couple of more Chappelle show ones i would think most of the top 10 would be made up of snl slash Chappelle, even though Chappelle had two seasons and change yeah which is and snl works once a month apparently what is up with (laughs) which i mean it's incredible that he had those two seasons and they're so transcendent I mean, would there be any other? I know this is a side a side chat, but any other shows that you think would sneak sketches in there? Besides those two, yeah. Well, you got to think maybe in Living Color or Key and Peele. Oh, Key and Peele, yeah, they might they might have one in there. Had a couple good ones, maybe. Not not top teners though. I don't think not top teners. I don't think on Mad. Not to hate, but Mad TV isn't like that level. Yeah, maybe but like. But Key and Peele came from that shit. I guess they came from something over there. So. I guess I guess we'd have to look at like a Portlandia as well. That I think. That's oh yeah, that yeah. they've came. They've come with some, at least maybe the number ten. That's technically a sketch show, and uh, yeah, it's a. Uh, it was an incredible. I just remember watching it for the first time, and like I know the Rick James one. I vividly remember that because I wasn't old enough to stay up to like watch it at 11:30 or whatever and every yeah. everybody at school the next day was quoting huh. and yelling that and i had no idea what they're talking about and i i think by the time the prince one came on it was one that i was actually able to catch and 
It's, I mean, if you haven't watched it in a while, it's on ComedyCentral.com or whatever their website is, and I would, I, it does, it hasn't aged as at all. Like, no, if it if it came out right now, I would, I want, I guarantee, I'll watch it tonight, and I will laugh as hard as I did in <laughs> 2004. It's hilarious. I mean, the the fruity picks, the uh, I think he he called his the play he calls is computer. Electric Blue. No, no, it's it's a uh, Computer Blue. Oh, Computer Blue. <laughs> Let's let's call a play Computer Blue. The shoot shoot that's just shoot the J. Yeah. Just coming off the top of the head. Now let me ask you this. Was Chappelle's show your first like entree to Dave Chappelle as a comedian? Or how, were you familiar uh, with like his half baked and I I think it was all kinda of the same. Like once Chappelle's show started to take off, then I, then I bought half baked. And then I or no, no, then I bought his stand up specials. And I I had the one where he's like live in live at the Fillmore, I think. Yep, that's one of them. Yeah, I have that on DVD. I actually bought that. So. I have a one on DVD, the one from San Francisco. I, I think it's called like. I think that's I think that's the Fillmore. Oh, but mine has like a funky title, and it's like a weird yellow. Co- it's probably the same one. But um, who who did the, who did the comedy special killing killing me softly? Killing him softly. Yeah, that's Chappelle as okay. well. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Now, not to take away Shine Off Prince, R.I.P., and he was definitely a great all-time, you know, he's one of those generational people like Elvis, Madonna, right. Prince, like he is that, just, and just, it's awesome to have that in your lifetime. Just watch that sketch just for the first time that they reveal Chappelle, and yeah, and they keep the crowd noise, and if you haven't seen Chappelle's show, they keep the crowd noise much like SNL's digital shorts. And the crowd reaction to that first shot is incredible. It's like so loud, and it takes it takes over the complete audio. And it was it's just this super magical moment because they like hover on him for like ten seconds because they knew they would get that laugh. And um, another good moment is you you hear Neil Brennan, who was I think one of the main main writers and directors, asked Charlie Murphy after the basketball game. So what did you guys do next? Made us pancakes. And that's that's all you yeah, need. Yeah, he said it so nonchalantly, like, but, I mean, like it's normal. Like, no, what do you think? Like Murphy and oh, who's the other guy? Donnell, what was his Donnell last name? Donnell Rawlings. Those guys were so good in that show, and they just kind of completely faded after that. And I wish, I wish they had careers because they were a very, very key part of that show being as good as it was, especially in those two stages. They're like Chris. They're like the Chris Kattan and Sherry O'Terry of Chappelle's show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, they I, needed it. You know, that was their only avenue to for act. Charlie Murphy tours and he does pretty well on the stand up circuit. He's huh. he has gets a lot of respect, but um, Donnell, yeah, I think he tried to act and he wasn't really quite mainstream. I I'm waiting for like a 20 year anniversary of the Chappelle Show for all those guys yeah. to get back together and do it. So, um, what was uh, you were you were going somewhere and I interrupted you? I forget. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were say- talking about taking the shine off Prince, and I thought, was that all you were saying on that? Oh, I was just going to say, is Dave Chappelle the greatest stand-up comedian of all time? Hey. Well, we know that Bill Cosby is not in the running anymore. so <laughs> oh, can't rape. Rapists are disqualified regardless yeah. of funniness. Yeah, rap- rapists are disqualified. Um, I think it's got to be between him and... It's got to be between him and Pryor, right? Like, or or maybe just like peak Murphy and Chappelle. 
Maybe. It's but definitely it's possible to nail down one. You gotta give two or three. I mean I, Carlin. I haven't listened to Raw in a really long time, but I I've heard it does not age well and I don't want to revisit it for that very for that very reason. It definitely will have some triggers and violate some safe spaces if you try to Right. Right. I think just in he terms of He definitely was not a fan. Like gay stuff was very uh bad for yeah, him. He, he was not um he was not very respectful of that so i guess like if we're just looking at in their time i think peak peak eddie murphy versus Chappelle versus i don't know if there's anybody current like louis ck is the biggest stand-up in the world and i don't think either of us will say that he's just an objectively better comedian than Chappelle. no yeah i think Chappelle has like then Murphy, sure, I'll give Louie that in my life. I mean, but right. what? who am I? A fat, schlubby, middle-aged white guy. Of course <laughs> I'm a, that's Louie. You know what I'm saying? Like if I was, yeah. a, you know. I don't, I don't really know. I, I don't really know who else stands up. Like Steve Martin has the highest selling comedy album. Well, maybe. So did Jeff Foxworthy too. Yeah, I and, mean. And so does, so did Dane Cook. So that doesn't really, I don't think that really means anything. But um, Oh, Dane. Yeah, Dane's done. Dane had that one last ga- that one last gasp on Louie, and then that was it. He couldn't he couldn't really do anything. I always anything feel after bad that. for Dane, and he was he was right on that episode of Louie. He was like, I should have gotten to enjoy it because of dicks like you. I didn't. <laughs> Wait, then so, his parents died of cancer. What what was the whole thing with Dane Cook while we're on it? Um, well, he Louie accused him of stealing some jokes, and Dane, of course, swears he didn't. So then on Louie. You know, Louis needs tickets to something, and Dane Cook and Lady Gaga have the same manager. So Louis goes to Dane and says, "Can you get me Lady Gaga tickets since you have the same manager?" Right. And he's like, "I can't believe you're asking me a favor. You know, you ruined the best year of my life. <laughs> like 2006, I had, you know, I sold out Madison Square Garden. I sold like millions of records, and all I could every time my name was brought up, like your stupid name got brought up. Like I stole jokes. He's like, "Well, you know." You stole my itchy ass joke. <laughs> <laughs> so have you, it's a very well done scene, but it's it, you know makes you feel very sympathetic for Dane Cook. Have you heard both of those bits? Is there theft there? Um, man, it's it's hard to say. I mean, it's not as black and white as some joke theft, but it it's always hard to defend against that because even if you do have a similar thought, like you know, there's some benefit in getting there first, like. Pepsi is similar to Coke, but you know, oh well, Coke got there first. Like, right, yeah. So I don't know. It's hard to say. A lot of people do have an itchy ass, and so that's a similar joke thing, I guess, with guys. But I'll tell you right now, no, no shame that that Dane Cook retaliation CD. That's probably the most most stand up most uh, most spin I ever got out of a stand up CD ever. Like, in I was perfect, perfectly timed for like nine tenth grade. And I just listened to the shit out of that record. Yeah, I mean, so. you know, funny's funny to a certain pe- person. And... Yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's, anyway. uh, let's wrap it up. Dave Chappelle, number one stand-up of all time, right? I, it's have, hard to debate. Have you ever seen him live or had the chance to? I've had the chance to, and I punked out. But oh, uh, damn. never again, if I ever get the chance. Uh, I think I want to see him at some point, too. All right, let's wrap it up right now. Um, this has been the Pilot Study, episode number 23. I want to thank Grimes, as always, for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. And we will be back next week with our season finale, so make sure to tune into that. 
And, uh, of course, thank you all for listening. And subscribe and rate us on iTunes. And we'll talk to you guys later. And that's the premise behind Pilot Study.